The journey to kidney disease can come from many different directions. Uncontrolled diabetes is one of the most common ways, and it too has a profound impact on minority communities. African Americans and Hispanics have much higher rates than their white counterparts. And again, every issue is many fold. Some of these communities that we're talking about are also in the most underserved communities. Mm -hmm. If a liquor store or a corner store is your substitute for Trader Joe's or Mariano's, there's a problem. That's president and CEO of Sinai Chicago Hospital, Dr. Ngozi Zike. And I'm Monica Fox, Director of Outreach and Government Relations for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. Today, we're bringing you a unique opportunity to listen in on a conversation between Dr. Ezekiel and Executive Director of Communications and Community Engagement of Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois, Tanita Cheatham. This conversation was recorded live at the American Diabetes Association 2023 Illinois State of Diabetes Community Day of Access and Education. Tanita and Dr. Ezekiel will discuss health equity and the disproportionate impact of diabetes on the black community. Diabetes is so prevalent. So I have a couple of statistics. ADA, keep me honest. 37 million adults with diabetes, 96 million more that have prediabetes. 81% of those are prediabetic and don't even know it. It is the eighth leading cause of death in the United States. It is the gateway comorbidity for so many other diseases. It is so prevalent. It's so prevalent. And it grows greater among non-Caucasian ethnicities. What contributing factors lend to this prevalence? Well, obviously, as with any issue, it's multifactorial. I know I'm just preaching to the choir, but this increase in the prevalence has been acute over the last 40 to 50 years. I think it coincides with some of our, you know, supersized mentality, right? I think it coincides with the fact that there are growing disparities in terms of income, which don't allow people to get the healthy food that they need. It coincides with being less physically active. Everybody thinks back to their childhood and is like, oh, we just ran around in the streets and you know, we didn't come home till the lights you know, came on and just a lot more physical activity. And some of it is related to the safety of being outside. And so it's not even like a great option to be as physically active as people may, may wanna be. But really at the heart of all these things is like our growing epidemic of obesity of the developed world, we, United States, is the most obese country, and we know that that's a major risk factor to go on to have diabetes. So we have a lot of work to do with obesity. There's so many issues even around obesity. I know a lot of people are tuned into some of the, the medicines that help with diabetes, help with you know, weight loss, but even who can get that, that comes, you know, that can create more disparities. But, you know, as we talk about diabetes, obesity is a major risk factor. We're saying that I think 30, 30 to 35% of people are obese in the U.S. And if you take overweight and obese, you know, then the number is growing to maybe more than half the population. And I think there's also a lot of reticence about talking about that. 
even in my house when we're talking about like, oh, do you really need another piece of pie? Don't fat shame me, you know? And my kids will throw that at me real quick, right? And so that kind of sentiment makes people, even doctors in their clinics, sometimes not say what they need to say, or they might be charting that someone based on their BMI is overweight or obese and never mentioned it to the patient. And so really being able to have those frank conversations and talk about ways that people can lower their weight, that's an important first step. Um, mm -hmm. But we've got to get a handle on this epidemic because it's costing lives oh and, and, and quality of life as well. It's costing so much. So you mentioned two things we're going to hit upon. One, we're going to talk about the importance of primary care a little later on. But just as we think about, you know, it used to be diabetes, that's something somebody else has to deal with. I have no comorbidities, I have no family history. There used to be a time that there were certain factors that attributed to it. But now, and I'm not a doctor, so keep me honest, but now there are so many different dynamics are at play. Anyone, is it safe to say anyone in this room, if not following appropriate care, could be subject to becoming Diabetic? No, anybody can become a diabetic. Obviously, there are people that are more predisposed, like genetics does have a role, but it's really a lot about lifestyle. We all understand that prevention is the way to go. Mm -hmm. And so for people who are not in regular care, like you said, primary care, if you don't even know that you're pre-diabetic, you don't mm -hmm. have the opportunity to say, oh, wait, you know, like, let's make some changes because I, you know, mm -hmm. let's try to avoid the progression to actual diabetes. Mm -hmm. So understanding uh, what your sugars are, um, making sure people understand what diabetes is. I think, you know, sometimes I've seen patients and I'll say, oh, you're diabetic. They're like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, mm, these medicines that you take, like, oh, I have a little touch of sugar, you know? <laughs> and it's like, like making sure that we understand all the terms so that we can really communicate with our patients. So, you know, whether it's sweet blood or, you know, high sugar or sweet, like we have to make sure that we're all speaking the same language because that loss of communication, that loss of understanding means that somebody might go to something else and go to their cardiologist and say, do you have diabetes? Nope, you know, and then not realize that that puts them in a different category. So really important that we're all speaking the same language. When we talk about what is diabetes, just baseline education with yeah. regard to what it is. Again, so really it's when your body is not able to deal with the sugars that are brought in. It's really has to do with the pancreas and the effectiveness of the insulin, whether, you know, and there's different, of course, there's type 1 and type 2, as people know. But if you have low insulin or insulin your insulin resistance, then your sugar levels will not be moderated as it should. And so when you take in a carb load, you're not able to, to handle it. We know that physical activity helps control sugars. We know that, you know, moderating the amount of sugar you actually take in. I, I think there's a lot to be said around just the lack of education and people not understanding maybe what they're putting into their bodies. It is helpful that we have more labels you know, if people really understand what those different things mean in terms of how many carbs and how many calories, you know, it should help inform people to make better choices, but you really have to be educated enough to understand what those labels are, are telling you. Mm -hmm. You know, I know a gallon of orange juice, understanding, you know, how much sugar that is versus trying to drink water. I know in my house, we were always cutting the oranges. My kids hated me. They loved going to somebody else's house 
they had real orange juice, mom. You know, they didn't dilute their orange juice. It tastes so much better. But just understanding like how much sugar you know you can get, even in something that's good for you, and being able to understand that. You know, I think there's a lot of education that we can probably do more with kids, right? Because it's, it's lifestyle, right? Like, if there's a certain way that everybody eats or prepares food and just doesn't know any better, like, that usually continues. And then you continue that into adulthood. And so really thinking about more education to our, you know, our preschoolers and our, our grade schoolers so that we can develop those early habits because we know that... Obese children are likely to become obese adults, and so you want to try to prevent that obesity from the start because, again, that's such a major risk factor for diabetes. You know, as a physician and also as the CEO of one of the largest private safety net hospitals within the country, I know you see a lot of these comorbidities, especially with regard to diabetes. In my opinion, sometimes what's missing from that as part of the education is what I call the linchpin, and that is the relationship that you should develop with your primary care, where it starts. I absolutely agree. You know, I, so many times I've been talking to like a new patient, you know, you want to make sure that you hit all the important things and understanding, you know, so much about, do they know what their labs are saying? Do they know what their BMI is saying? Like, people have maybe learned about the numbers for like blood pressure and like, oh, 120, 80. You know, but do they understand the sugar numbers as well or their BMI? And so when people maybe have 30, 40, 50 pounds to lose and they've never had a conversation with a previous doctor about the weight issue, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. But really trying to get into those issues and have the education, I think really having a good primary care doctor, one that you feel comfortable with and one that feels comfortable enough to to be able to broach maybe those difficult topics, that's key. I always tell people, like, if you don't feel comfortable with your doctor or you don't feel like you want to listen to anything they're going to say, then find another doctor because that relationship is not working for anybody. But I think people feel like, I just, you know, I show up, you know, like, oh, I'm doing fine. I went to the doctor. Mm -hmm. And like just going to the doctor is, is not the goal. You have to <laughs> right. tell them what's going on with right. you. There has to be some exchange. There has to mm -hmm. be some understanding. There has to be... Um, some agreed upon plans, you know, thinking about like the relationship with smoking. Smoking is a risk factor. Really thinking about your family history. Some people might know that, yeah, we do have many people in our family that have had diabetes. That's a sign that you have to be on the lookout. Some of these labs that we take, getting those labs just to figure out where we are, that's really important. Sometimes the doctor will say, um, get your labs done before the visit, then we can go over them. And, you know, maybe it's a hassle to try to, to do that ahead of time, but at least if we can get it done, get some information so we can understand the landscape. Again, we all know that prevention is the way to go. We want to mm -hmm. prevent disease. Again, I don't want to discourage people because if people have diabetes, you know, you can live with diabetes and you can learn to control it so we can minimize all of those effects. You talked about how it is so related to so many diseases. I mean, diabetic retinopathy is a very real thing. It can cause blindness. Outside of having an accident, the amputations that occur, that's primarily gonna be the number one cause outside of having some kind of traumatic accident. That is gonna be because of diabetes. You know, ulcers, heart disease, strokes, kidney disease, 
a lot of people who uh, are on dialysis now or awaiting transplant, it started with having you know, diabetes and, and the effect it can have on, on our kidneys as well. It could be such an unforgiving disease, it really can. Curious to know, as I mentioned in the opening, that diabetes tend to affect or impact communities of color greater than others. What's the evidence of the dynamic with regard to that? Yeah, some of the rates can be two to three times higher. I know I think it's highest in, in Native Americans, but African Americans and Hispanics have much higher rates than their, than their white counterparts. And again, every issue is many fold. You know, part of it is that some of these communities that we're talking about are also in the most underserved communities. Mm -hmm. And so if a liquor store or a corner store is your substitute for Trader Joe's or Mariano's, there's a problem. But that's a reality for many, many people. And so your options for getting the foods that you need mm -hmm. are limited. Maybe you actually have the resources, but you don't have those stores and like trying to get to it. So poverty, I think, is a chronic disease that plays into, into and creates a higher risk of people becoming diabetic because if you're poor, you're more likely to be, you know, maybe in, a, in an unsafe neighborhood where more walking is a problem. If you're poor, you're likely to have less access to farmers markets and fresh produce. Mount Sinai is one of our two acute hospitals. We're in North Lawndale. There's no grocery store in North Lawndale. That is not common in many other communities of affluence. That's not a thing. And so really thinking about that, people who are poor are more likely to be uninsured. Some people may have Medicaid, but some people may have no insurance at all. So there, all of these things kind of add up together. Mm -hmm. So of course there's some biology and genetics, but more than that are all these other things like the surrounding, mm -hmm. poverty, where you live. All of those things play a significant role in, in the progression to diabetes as well. Well, I know Sinai Chicago is a bright spot within the community that you serve. In addition to taking care of patients and meeting their clinical needs, there are a lot of things that you do to support the community in addressing certain social determinants of health. Can we talk a bit about that? Yeah. You know, I'm so proud to be at the helm. Sinai Chicago has been working around the social drivers or the social determinants of health even before it became the end thing. Mm -hmm. Partnership and collaboration is really what Sinai, you know, just thrives on. We know that housing, if you don't have stable housing, you know, it's really hard to think about eating healthy when you don't even have a place that's your fridge where you can you know, think about putting your food. If you have some medicines that maybe you're trying to take to stave off diabetes or worsening diabetes, and, but you don't have a home where you can, here's where I go and I get my medicines every day, but you're waking up in a different spot, look, going from shelter to shelter. Mm -hmm. So Sinai Chicago is working right now with a real estate developer, the Chicago Housing Authority, and some private funders and corporations We've already broken ground on a new facility right next to Mount Sinai Hospital. Actually, it will be open next spring, spring of 2024, and it will have 92 units of affordable housing, brand new, beautiful structure, That's all amazing. for people who qualify by being low income, but having a beautiful, respectable, dignified place to live to help attack that housing, that housing problem. 
We're in the process also of working with the North Lawndale Employment Network, who's trying to bring the first grocery store to North Lawndale. And so we're very excited to partner with that. We know that transportation can be an issue. Yeah, thank yes, you. Yes. <laughs> You know, transportation can be a barrier in itself. And so we work very hard at Sinai to make sure that we take that problem out. Sometimes you'll see in the chart, like, oh, this person hasn't showed up for three visits, non-compliant with appointments. But if you actually take the time to talk to the patient, it could be something like, I didn't have a ride. I didn't have a way to get to the appointment. Because I've actually heard people say, like, well, why are the outcomes so much worse in, in some of these communities? Don't they care about their health? It's really that when you are poor, you are struggling so much with so many competing priorities that you are trying to figure out what you can do to just keep your finger in the dam. What's going to be the meal for the next day? What's uh, going to be the meal for the next day? Like, what if, I, what if I don't have paid leave? So for me to come to doctor means I'm not gonna, I'm, my check is going to be short. And that check being short means I'm not going to make rent. And so then you have these, what I call false choices, where you're in a situation where who wouldn't think about keeping a roof over their family's head over going to the doctor for, quote, a checkup. And so, you know, all of that is built into, you know, what people who are poor, you know, might have a job that doesn't have paid leave. So all, that's, that's the system working against you too, yeah. right? Like there is a direct connection between your mental health and your physical health. Like it's inextricably linked. We know that people who are hopeful and happy have better outcomes, you know, for any number of diseases than, than those who are depressed. So depression, anxiety, that will, you know, dysregulate hormones and make you more likely to suffer from diabetes or have a hard time controlling it. You know, people who, who live in some of these urban environments where you're living on edge because you think every time you step out of your home, that could be the day that something very untoward happens. And living with that kind of pressure and that kind of weight is not helpful. There's more and more research that says that chronic stress, which a lot of people might undergo just as a matter of being poor, as a, ma as a matter of being uh, a member of a class that regularly faces discrimination, those microaggressions, that all of that, like holding on to all of that does not help health at all. You know, Dr. Zeke, people are here today, we're here today, you're here today, the people are here today because we care. A lot of things we could have been doing today, but we chose to be here because we care about this. And Thank you for sharing the wonderful work that's happening at Sinai. Of course, we're really aware of it because we're partners, but we all have an opportunity to pick up the, ban the mantle and do something. So I can certainly for a moment brag about what we do at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois within the community. We have our tremendous community engagement team, our health equity team, our caravan team. These are all entities that we utilize to partner with the experts like an American Diabetes Association and other great organizations that are focused on addressing social determinants of health in communities like this one. Doing our part, everyone can do their part. I gotta believe that there's some kind of way that anyone is interested in learning more about what Sinai is doing in the community to address social determinants of health, I gotta believe there's an easy way for people to be able to contact someone to come in to do their part. We are always open for partnerships and for volunteers. If anyone wants to uh, get more information, you can reach out to 
dan.regan, R-E-G-A-N, at sinai.org. He's our head of communications, and he can absolutely connect anybody that wants to look at different ways to partner. We're always looking for partnerships. Nobody can do this work alone. It's, it's so complicated. It's so vast, you know, from the prevention to to you know, educating people, to dealing with people in their situation and figuring out all the different things they need. You all know this, like the actual time with the doctor in the clinic, like that's a small fraction of getting you the health outcome that you want. All these other things, life happening, that stuff is probably more impactful in terms of what you're going to experience as your, as your health outcome. And so that involves everyone. You know, that involves everyone in the community doing their part to help shore up some of these gaps. You know, we need gap fillers because we all deserve optimal health. It's not acceptable that there are communities that live on average 15 years less than their counterparts who are just two or three miles away, right? Mm. We have to not be comfortable with the status quo and we have to be bold about talking about it and bringing people to the table to say, what's your role? What can you do to help? Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's resources, mm -hmm. sometimes it's expertise, you know, but we need to figure out what everyone's role is. Yeah, and everybody has an opportunity to come to the table, but you have to get to the table. Dr. Zike, thank you. Special thank you to Dr. Zike, the American Diabetes Association, all of our community partners and members that are here. Thank you so much for being here. Controlling your diabetes is one of the keys to slowing the progression of kidney disease. To find helpful other ways to control the progression of kidney disease, go to nkfi.org. To find helpful resources that are available from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois, go to bcbsil.com. Prevention is a key part of our mission at the Kidney Foundation. That's why at the end of each episode, Dr. Melissa Prest, offers a health tip. Here's today's health tip on managing diabetes. Diabetes is one of the leading causes of chronic kidney disease. It's a condition where your body cannot make enough insulin or is unable to use the insulin that's made. Insulin is a hormone that's produced by the islet cells in your pancreas to regulate your blood glucose. Long-term or not well-controlled diabetes can damage small blood vessels, which limits your kidney's ability to clean your blood well. Diabetes is monitored by the ABCs. A stands for checking your hemoglobin A1C and having it treated if it's high. E stands for blood pressure. It's important to monitor and treat high blood pressure. And C stands for cholesterol. Monitor and treat high cholesterol. If you are someone living with diabetes, a lot of the day-to-day -day management of it is in your control. Here are 10 important ways you can make a big impact on your diabetes health. Make healthy food choices. Create a healthy meal plan or get the help of a registered dietitian to create a plan that's right for you. Be physically active and get an exercise to help control your blood pressure, blood sugar, and lower your cholesterol. Take all of your medications as prescribed. Keep a logbook with your blood sugar numbers and take that book to your doctor appointments. Watch for symptoms or changes in your health and communicate that with your healthcare team. If you're feeling overwhelmed or need more support, talk with your healthcare team to discuss options. Ask questions so that you feel confident in your ability to care for yourself. Talk with others who are living with diabetes and find support to help you. 
Get tested for chronic kidney disease at least once a year. Stay informed and keep learning so that you can manage your chronic health condition. With today's health tip, I'm Melissa Prest, a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois.